accept the fact that this either with you or without you is going to transform every single industry in one or the other way. And it's the job of the leadership is to prioritize the capability of actually implementing different types of meat, basic machine learning or generative AI or image processing or text, large language mode, whatever, right? You name it in many different kind of spaces and subspaces of AI implementation project by prioritizing, putting resources into that and making sure that you keep an eye on it by exploring, assessing, implementing something, assessing, collecting the results and starting from scratch. Explore, implement or experiment, assess the result and so on. And so this cycle is not always fitting into the logic of a large corporate where you have a project, where you have a cost benefit case and you do it because frequently you will find out that some things just don't work the way you expect it, do not have that kind of ROE on your kind of investments and so on and so forth. But not being engaged, not being involved in that game is not a solution. So you better start playing it now. Hello, Ara. How are you today? Hello. Hello, Monica. I'm very well. Thank you. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. Very looking forward to our conversation. Me too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming to the show. Because like just to add context for everyone, Ara and I met a few months ago in Amsterdam. Like I was going to Money 2020. Then before Money 2020, there was another conference from the Banking 50 and both of us we're speakers in that conference and we just happened to sit next to each other. And then he was giving this talk about AI and I was like, oh my God, that is like so interesting. <laughs> and at, the, at that day, I, I was like, oh, Ara, can, can I take a little video of you talking? And I did, but it doesn't look that good. So we never posted that video <laughs> because it's like impromptu, not looking good. So instead we were like, let's jump into proper podcast camera mode. And that's why we have Ara today. So thank you, Ara. There was a signal from top so that we will happen to sit <laughs> next to each other. Exactly. Looking forward to it, Monica. Likewise. Okay, so to get started, for context, this podcast is all about how can we create more purpose-driven fintechs and have more impact as such. So that's a very important question. So in your opinion, how can we design and build fintechs? I think the idea of financial technology and its purpose is built in into the very nature of small scale solution to the problems, solutions that are helping people in various aspects of their life in various situations by decomposing the whole idea of financial services or the whole idea of whatever insurance, banking business and so on into much more affordable much more accessible, much easier to use, much more convenient commodity tools. And I think making it more purposeful is actually a part of the DNA of a fintech by disentangling the financial services per se. Can you expand on what do you mean with the DNA by disentangling financial services? I think, look, uh, financial services industry, insurance companies, and so on and so forth, in large, very complicated, very customer-centric, not very friendly, people-friendly, and so on and so forth. Normally, people tend to have distant 
if not cold relationship to financial services industry. And, and by, by cutting this complex in, infrastructure, financial, regulated, heavily regulated infrastructure into smaller pieces and making them more understandable, more accessible, available, easier to use, helps achieving the idea itself of what financial services with a capital S is supposed to be, right? And, and I think that decomposition, which is the role of fintech, cutting the big elephant into pieces is part of their DNA, part of the idea of, of actually um, fintech solution. Right? Yes. Otherwise, if you glue them together, you will become the old same big complex bank. Right? Exactly. And that's what we don't want to do. Hence, yes. I do agree that, DN- that fintechs have a DNA that's different to banks. And probably both of us, like we've worked in big banks and fintech. So there's a comparison point that you're like, yeah, they are different. They are not better than the other. They are just different DNAs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And then just building exactly on what I said about working in both fintechs and banks, like you have a very interesting career. Like you've worked across the big banks. Now you sit in the advisory board, both big banks, fintechs. You also teach can you tell us about your journey, your career journey, and then what led you to do advisory work at this point in life? With pleasure. Yeah. So I'm an engineer. This an engineering background. I, I did whatever, 25 plus years ago, my PhD in, in computer science. Apparently in part of the artificial intelligence at the time, which was called decision support system. And, and after back in Armenia, where I'm originally from, in year 2000, I moved to Germany, started to work for a startup, funny enough, uh, which was doing payments, EBP, electronic bill presentment and payment. Uh, well, after 9-11, the startup went bust and I had to look for a job and I ended up being in, in a bank, in a big, in the biggest bank here in Frankfurt and Deutsche Bank, where I spent almost 15 years, yeah, 14 and a half years of my career, which was very successful from my perspective because I had a pleasure to meet extremely talented and clever people who taught me a lot. I had no clue about financial services, no clue about banking. So I was genuine, pure information technology profession. But I've been building then systems, ID for banks for 15 years at Deutsche. And then when, when I was responsible and my last job there was, I was responsible for risk technology here and I moved to Austria, to Vienna. And Five years later, or three and a half, four years later, I became a member of the board responsible for the digital transformation, biggest financial services provider in Central and Eastern Europe, headquartered in Vienna. And then six years later, I returned and started to do different things, redirected my career from the corporate world to the fintech world because I realized was probably a midlife crisis as well involved in that, <laughs> that there is a that there is a huge world outside the corporate world, the world full of innovation, the world full of fast paced development, world full of great innovative entrepreneurs and so on and so forth. And then I started to do my consulting business where I do consulting for startups. And that is the bit where I help you know, in the advisory function organize and also another startup big profit, but also do some consulting work to incumbent. Some area bank is one of my clients 
And I think teaching is a part of me that kind of tells me that, okay, now you've been around for quite some time. You've seen quite a bit in the corporate world and now in the entrepreneurial world. How about trying to share your experiences with with younger generations. And I teach in executive education courses. I teach leadership. I do same parts of the digital curriculum and so on and so forth. Awesome. So what's very exciting about this episode is exactly that mix of your career, that you got to a board level in a big bank, e.g. you understand like big banks financial services system. And at the same time, you are doing like innovation and fintechs and working in one of those companies that it's AI-based. So we can talk about digital transformation from both angles <laughs> with someone that understands yes. both, which is yeah. awesome. So before yeah. we get into this conversation as such, currently you are in the board of Amerabank and you're also doing advisory work in Cognize. One is a big bank. The other one is an AI startup, both in financial services. Can you tell us what's the role of purpose in these two companies? One is big, one is small, and what's purpose for each of them? Amelia is one of the leading banks, in some aspects, the leading bank in, in Armenia. And my willingness or my intention and or my motivation to help them is to make the most modern, up-to-date financial services available to my own country the people in my country, which is something they do very well. They embarked on journey of digital transformation and, and it fits very well my experience and skills from my career to support them on that journey. Whereas Cognize is another crazy engineering part of my, of my, of my heart and my, maybe my brain, where the most advanced technologies, often connected technology with which is at the leading edge of research is being implemented and put into the purpose of helping organizations to become more efficient, to become more accessible, to become more customer friendly, become, yeah, helpful, useful. So this gives me an opportunity to jump forth and back between my past and my future and transform information or effectively build bridges between these two very interesting, very valuable, but totally different world. Yes. And I guess I want to dig a little bit deeper into that about building bridges. But the thing that is the common theme is digital transformation. Whether it's a big bank doing a project of digital transformation or if it's a fintech, because we ourselves as fintechs, sometimes we do not see ourselves as doing digital transformation. But actually, we are. Like, yeah. It is not like changing status quo, big bank to a digital thing, but it's we need to disrupt customers' behaviors, customers' lives via a digital experience as well. And it takes transformation from different angles. And same as a startup becomes a little bit more mature, it has habits that we need to break to then go to the next level. So there's an element of transformation as well in fintechs. So I want to expand on that, but first start with the big organizations. How do we bridge this world between like big organization and innovative companies and deep tech while still being able to stay in line and with all the constraints and priorities 
and pressure from investors and regulators? And that's a very good question. That's actually probably the million dollar question. Right? While I completely agree, let's start with the simple part of it. Yes, or simple in quotes part of it. And the digital transformation in the context of fintech industries, the digital transformation of, of the, the real world, if you will, the customer or taking the, the reality with you on the journey of the digital kind of product offering service, et cetera, et cetera. It's much less about actually changing the way the company works itself. Whereas if you think about the digital transformation of an incumbent company, that is much more a transformation that looks inwards, right? It looks into the organization itself. It looks at the way it does things and so-called how, and it looks at what it does, right? What do they do in terms of the implementation of modern technology, whether they move their applications into cloud, whether they implement DevSecOps as their implementation methodology, whether they employ AI, whether they do RPA and so on and so forth, right? So they take their processes um, and procedures and products and kill everything they know about the way these problems, if you will, are solved. And start from scratch. Yeah. First principle, applying the most modern technology to the solution, to create a solution of that problem. So that is why I see the digital transformation of a big financial services company, right? An incumbent company, not always, not necessarily financial services company, by splitting into two pillars. What do you do in terms of the technology itself and how you do it? in terms of ways of working, collaboration, innovation, agility, and so on and so forth. Love that. And I, and I want to dig a little bit deeper on, on the what, that is taking the most modern technology and applying it to your company. What are the challenges that big banks or the incumbents face when they are trying to implement these new technologies? There are many. Let me few. Let me know name a few. There's one that becomes increasingly apparent to me and in the context of what I, you know, I in my mixed world, the mixed reality, is the fact that the digital transformation or any kind of transformation is a long process, right? And this process is usually consisting of many small steps that in its aggregate contribute on, or end up being the, the big shift from the old world to the new world is not in a good match with the corporate governance. Right? Usually people who are responsible for this kind of transformational programs are board members who have short, reasonably short, three years, four years three contracts, years. Yeah, which is not always a term of such a transformational program. And management often is simply reluctant or afraid of starting this kind of transformation because it's bearing huge amounts of risks and their terms do not give them the opportunity to address them and actually see the results or harvest the results of this transformation. That's why I think it would be fair to say that most of the incumbents in a financial services industry still struggling in actually making big and badly necessary steps yeah, towards the new digital reality. And that is why the, the fintech world is so aggressively biting up uh, of all the tastiest pieces of that kind of big service pipe. Kind of 
it's a challenge because exactly the fintechs are trying to get ahead while the banks have the customers and the banks have the processes and the banks have the know-how and the funds to do it. So how could banks overcome this challenge? Because probably I we're think, not going to change the three-year tenure of the board. I, I wish we could, but probably not here in this very podcast. Uh, I think it takes leadership, it takes courage, and it takes an understanding of the composition of a big problem into smaller pieces. And it takes acceptance that partnering with innovative, smaller companies on resolving individual bits and pieces will bring you that kind of mutual benefit where you as a bank have to trust and the proximity to the customer and the fintech and you technology company has the speed, has the high tech know-how, has a product that is badly required on the market. For me, the key word here is a partnership and partnership is not procurement. It's no. classical sense. <laughs> Because if you want to kill a startup, you can put the startup into a procurement process and they'll go bankrupt. Out. <laughs> and so it's about actually creating a meaningful trust-based partnership between the two worlds where the best of both can come into play. Awesome. And we are going to go into deeper into that topic, but first I want to go back because at some point you talked about the what and the how where the how it's all about ways of working and culture in general. So the more I do this work, I'm like, yeah, the what is very important, but mm. the how means humans. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. more challenging. So what are the biggest challenges that we face when it comes to culture in all this digital transformation process? There are many. One of the biggest ones is the lack of skills course, and the lack of the talent that that is hardly excited to go and start for a large incumbent financial services organization when they're full of creativity and full of energy and so on and so forth. So one of the biggest challenges in the transformation of financial services industry is in terms of the culture, is the talent itself, right? You hardly get the people you need. There are also some technical challenges as well, right? There is frequently outdated infrastructure, there is frequently outdated architecture, technical, technological architecture, there's lack of data, right? Which is one of the kind of key ingredients, key components of the um, digital transformation, especially of what we do in the AI space. And the last kind of third important pillar of the challenges or important source that apply, uh, that imposes challenges on this is the is the regulation, the aspects of security, safety, fairness, bias, and so on and so forth. Data protection. Yeah. This is another huge component and block of impediments to the digital transformation that creates huge amount of headaches to the corporate officers. Yes, and I could add also to fintechs. Maybe not such a big headache, but it's something that as I've done all these episodes with people and talk to other people outside, when I ask, hey, what is it that you would like to see change? And everybody says like, right, 
something that slows you down rather than something that enables you to go faster and innovate better. So we need to have that balance. It's, yeah, I, maybe if I can add one sentence to that, my corporate life has been full of interaction with regulators. I was responsible for risk technology, both in get and then at some stage at the beginning of my work at Terrace, yeah. which means that you regularly kind of undergo a regulatory audit and you address findings and you have, and my experience is is following. You have to consider them as a key stakeholder of your change process. You have to engage into open and honest conversation. You have to ask for help if you need help, because my experience showed that if you base your collaboration with the regulator on this kind of vectors, right, or on these principles, if you will, then it brings another level of trust and collaboration, which is helpful for both, right? Regulators are keen for you to build systems that are making sure that you're stable, safe, and so on and so forth. And you want to make sure that regulators understand the challenges and sometimes even help you to overcome the challenges to address their concerns and or to provide the best service to the market. And even there, a collaboration and communication is key. Yes, and that comes back to what you said at the beginning about trusted partnerships, including the the regulator. Exactly. Awesome. As we move more to the other side of your career, (laughs) are we going to the startup side, the fintech side? You are working with an advisory role in an AI company. Can you tell us a little bit about Cognize and what they do before we go into the whole AI conversation, just to have a little bit of context? Sure, with pleasure. Cognize is is a very interesting company. It's an amazing company that does something which is reasonably simple on its surface, but hugely complex in its details. It extracts information, data from unstructured documents. Right, it's a platform. It's a SaaS company that provides tool to help people, organizations, companies, or clients, and so on and so forth, to extract valuable information like reports, PNL report data, balance sheet data, and so on and so forth from PDFs, pictures, photos, and so on and so. Forth. Simple problem, very complex solution. Yes, that's what I was going to say because it seems that this is just. To me, we're just at the beginning of the AI revolution, right? And this is just a very specific use case that just on that use case, we can see the complexity. How do you extract data? (laughs) It's not that easy. No, it's not that easy. If we go a little bit into high level and we say AI financial services, what do you think are going to be the biggest challenges in the next five years when it comes to adop- adopting AI technologies? First is skills. Second is data. And third is probably regulation. What can we do about it right now? Skills is very easy in quotes. So I'm sorry, I'm being cheeky. You, <laughs> uh, I think you... You have to acknowledge and understand that there are things that you can do as a company undergoing a digital transformation. There are things that you can do yourself and there are things that you need to partner. Like if you look at the partnership landscape of the most advanced digital companies of these days, like Google's, Amazon's, and so on and so forth, 
they are partnering with hundreds and hundreds of the smaller companies to get their services done. So this you have to accept at the first place. Second is the probably the most challenging one, data. And this is the bit where we come to help, right? We help companies to recreate or restore the data they've lost on the way of by, by, by killing the data itself, making them PDFs and putting them into kind of endless archives where the data is actively being lost. And then there's a lot of Jamaica form homework that organizations need to do in order to implement all the kind of data governance framework, quality framework, and so on and so on. So that's a big amount of, just a big amount of work that has to happen. Yes. Because in my and head, I'm like, data quality just on its own. Yeah. It's, it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. And the third is, as I said, if you go back to the regulator, I think close kind of collaboration and it's in terms of, if you look at in this triangle of a kind of service provider or a startup company, innovative company, the client, let's say a big bank and some more insurance company or whatever, and the regulator that kind of carefully observes that space, it's in interest of all three effectively to make sure that the solution that is built built by one and implemented by the other is happily accepted by the third, by the independent observer. So that I see it as a collaboration. Think about, yeah, I'm like, oh, that is a little bit more complex than just <laughs> like you as a fintech and the regulator. Now it's you, the fintech, the fintech, the regulator, and the third party. Yeah, and and the good thing is that I, I think we just have to we just have to accept that that's the new kind of normal way of doing things, right? And try to make it work for for the industry as a whole by making sure that the collaboration or the strangler collaboration is seen as such. You just said something very true, that it's, this is the new normal. That's it. AI is not going away. And then this time of the year just happens to be that it's like Q4. We're all getting ready to do our strategic planning for next year. When it comes to AI, let's say that we have our strategy and roadmaps for the 95% of the business. How do we go about thinking our AI strategy, whether that is for next year or for the next five years? I think probably the first statement I would make in that context is maybe a bit outdated, but I'll still make it because it's important. It's what you just said is the fact of acceptance that AI is here, right? Our discussions with our clients two years ago or one and a half years ago were totally different. We're starting explaining what is AI and named it and so on. Now, I think this is done, right? Everybody is, okay, good. AI is here. It's reality. That's the first step. And the second is accept the fact that this, either with you or without you, is going to transform every single industry, right? In one or the other way. And it's the job of the leadership is to 
prioritize the capability of actually implementing different types of meat, basic machine learning or generative AI or image processing or text, large language model, whatever, right? You name it in many different kind of spaces and subspaces of AI implementation project. By prioritizing, putting resources into that and making sure that you keep an eye on it by exploring, assessing, implementing something, assessing, collecting the results and starting from scratch. Explore, implement or experiment, assess the result and so on and so on. This cycle is not always fitting into the logic of a large corporate where you have a project, where you have a benefit, cost-benefit case, and you do it. Because frequently you will find out that some things just don't work the way you expect it, do not have that kind of ROE on your kind of investments, and so on and so forth. But not being engaged, not being involved in that game is not a solution. So you better start playing it now. So if I summarize what you said, that it's, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's number one, ensure that you start building your AI capabilities, whatever that looks like for your business. But it's like get into the game now. It's about building capabilities because we don't have that knowledge, that expertise, the process. Yes. We don't have that. Most fintechs or banks don't have it because it's new. So one, it's build the capabilities. And two, the process that you explained, it's what I call use the experimentation approach. Correct. May not work, it will work. But then you go with a hypothesis, you have a very specific thing that you're going to do, you roll it out, then you step back, you learn, and then you Correct. see Correct. what happened, and then you make the next decision and you do the next experiment. Yes, exactly. Awesome. I like that. Capabilities plus experimentation. It's a, it's a, it, I think it may sound too simple or even simplistic, but in reality it is it is the simple things that that we struggle to accept and implement, right? And we tend to overcomplicate things by making them dysfunction. And if <laughs> yes, we yeah, if we, yeah, if we just do this, okay, let's, if, if we translate it into real practical ways of thinking, what would I recommend my client? I say, okay, good, just hire 10 people, put one lead AI engineer on top of it, and establish three partnership with the key AI service providers in your industry, and start, take 10 projects, prioritize top three of them, try them out. Two will not work. One will work. Fine. Discard the two, put another two on the agenda and so on and so forth. So it, it, it is as simple as that. Practical. Yes. Yes. Because that's the way, right? <laughs> to me. <laughs> so as we, let's say in the next one year, three years, five years, we start building all these capabilities. And we start learning as an industry. If we fast forward 10 to 15 years from today, what do you think was the, in the future, what, we, when we look back, what is the impact of AI 
in the industry when it comes to building more purpose-driven fintechs? Um, it's a very good question. I think we should probably start with a fair assessment of actually what AI can do. And when we talk about most of the tools that we categorize in the big, big AI spaces, we, tool, we talk about the tools that bring efficiency, can bring speed, that brings scale, and in some cases, that bring fairness into the process by removing some of the judgmental issues out of it, by automating them, or by digitally transforming them. Now, what does it mean in terms of the implementation of purpose-driven technology? By making processes efficient, you make them more accessible to a broader public. If something is much more cost-efficient, products are cost-efficient, if they're safe, cheap, and so on and so forth, obviously larger community can make use of them, can benefit from them. And the second thing, by eliminating our flaws, our biases, by actually acknowledging them, identifying and eliminating them from the data that we put into the training of the IR models by actually the IR models, by making sure that we comply to the regulatory demands of standards, of ethical standards, and so on and so forth of our models, we will make them better for the world. You start, if you use tools that are assessing candidates, we know this classical case of AI bias based on the training information that is implied or applied by the, to the existing batch of CVs will permanently choose a specific subset of people, which is correlated to the historical best thing, right? But by knowing it and acknowledging it and actually explicitly eliminating that and many other biases out of it, it can make a fair, transparent and useful, efficient process. So we need to become very good at finding those biases such that we train the machine Correct. to take, to not be biased basically, but it's interesting, right? Because a bias is a bias. Yeah, yes. But in, in reality, I think the problem is not finding them. It's the problem is actually accept, right? So we as humans, right? The catalog of, of our biases is known, right? If you list them, there's confirmation bias, this bias, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So the, the, there is a reasonably comprehensive list of them. It's just we are not good. We, humans, are not good at um, avoiding them. There are ways of handling them, right? There are ways of handling them. And as a manager or as a leader, you have responsibility in order to make sure that in your decision-making process, you ask all the support you need to avoid them. But from the technological perspective, if you have a catalog, you just need to make sure that data is represented, that your biases are being incorporated into your, or are being taken care of. And then it just becomes the matter of routine, right? You validate your data set against whatever 
set of tests, if you will, is, and then you're good to go. You will not be perfect from the stretch. Of course, that's normal, right? But as you go, you will identify the more and more sophisticated way of identifying and eliminating biases the same way as just implementation of the product. I think I'm seeing a theme here that it's like, of course, we have the machine AI, but then we have the human side that it's exactly the biases as such. And you use this word in the conference in Amsterdam, and it's also part of Cognize's proposition. So Cognize and you have talked about hybrid intelligence. And I think you were just getting into that. Can you explain what is hybrid intelligence? With great pleasure. We actually write the concept of hybrid intelligence on the big kind of slogan of what and how we do a cognize. And it's about, it is in a simple way, it's about a combination of strength and hedging of weaknesses of each other. Right? So if you are a like good such. leader right, and you are good in numbers and or you are good in actually giving the motivation to speak, but you are not good in actually checking the details of the project and you will not be hired to each hedge your weaknesses, to offset your weaknesses. In reality, the AI and IQ or EQ are very good how should I say? Partners. Partners, sure. <laughs> yeah. And they are very complementary, right? And the things that are done well by humans are not so easy for technology. There is actually a theory of that, the Moravec's paradox, that explains that actually robots and machines are much better in doing some things that are complex and difficult for people and analyzing huge amounts of data, doing big calculations, so on and so on. And on the other side, they struggle with doing something simple as a picking a cup and having a drink, right? Because there's so much technology, many kinds of technology involved in it. So by, by accepting that fact, we think that the hybrid intelligence, so effectively a partnership between AI and a person will make the person much more efficient and will help the person to get rid of the routine waste of time, waste of effort, and make much more productive and efficient. I like that. You know what? Like one of the things that I love about the podcast, somebody asked me the other day, what's the most surprising or what do you love about the podcast? And I always say, oh, the unexpected things. So <laughs> in this specific podcast, I'm like, all we talked about has been like, not all, but like the theme of partnerships is so present. It's just, just partnerships, but with different parts of the ecosystem <laughs> as such. So <laughs> as we start to wrap up the episode, just following on that theme, that it's like partnerships, but also culture. And we have the incumbents, we have the established fintechs, and now we have the rise of the AI startups. 
how can we all work best together? Because in some cases, like AI startup, big bank, incumbent, somehow the definition of each of them, it's a little bit incompatible. So what's your take on how do we make this partnership a successful one? Uh, my, my instinct tells me, also, as I said, we said, beginning them also teaching and one of the master classes I use is about the trust. It's about the trust as enabler of digital transformation. And I talk about the trust in the in the relation in the working environment, in the relationship between leaders and their team members, in relation in the relationship between different parts of the organizations, trust between Different departments, divisions, and so on and so forth, and and I and I accept and understand that it's a multi-dimensional problem. There's millions of puzzle pieces that all contribute and end up to trust. But I think this logic um, works very well uh, with with the way I think the collaboration between the big corporate world and and innovative startup world is. It's going to be successful, right? It's it's first the acknowledgement that they're different, that they're diverse, right? And as acknowledgement they as they are, yeah. And by accepting this, having the courage to put the trust as a key component of partnership between uh, between both parties, right? I, I learned over my career in the most painful way that the contract is the worst possible place you need to look at for the solution with your relationship between you and your providers, right? The best way are the people that are sitting next to you around the table. The partnership, alignment on the common goals, understanding the purpose of what it is that we are going to achieve together helps us go big chunk of the way that we need to get in order to achieve. And there are multiple ways of partnership, right? Some companies have the client service provider relationship, some are investors, some are just advisory relationship and so on and so forth. But, but the core idea is to are we in agreement about the common mutually beneficial goals of what we're trying to achieve. And if you spend 90% of the time on alignment on, on that very specific goal, then everything else works out automatically. Yeah. So I think in the age of AI and artificial intelligence, the human aspect of the relationship between two parties and, and understanding of what it is that we are jointly addressing is the key to the solution of the problem. I love that. Oh, I have this saying that the future of fintech is human. And that's of exactly course. what it refers to. It's not about AI. It's not about technology. It's about being more human across all the touch points in the ecosystem. Not just product, but like you said, partnerships. It needs to be the human element. It's trust. It comes back to human. <laughs> It is. Yeah. 
I'm like, yeah. This I'm not has sure, been I'm not sure such an was, interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's uh, if that was the conclusion that an AI topic, uh, as a oh, podcast, yeah. as an AI topic, would come to. But it is, yes. Yeah, it's been genuinely a very interesting conversation, and probably I will need a part two. I could keep like talking and asking and asking and asking more questions, <laughs> but just to keep like this part one. <laughs> As we wrap up, where can we find more about you and Cognize? Oh, we are obviously our web. We are starting a series of podcasts actually ourselves. The announcement will come cool. uh, soon. Uh, uh, probably by the time this podcast is, is published, we will be already live ourselves. We frequently go on to conferences, talk about ourselves present our product, our webpage is there with totally the cheap articles and so on and so forth. So we're pushing all the channels to make sure that our ideas are heard and seen. So across everywhere, and I'll include those everywhere in the show notes. Thank you very uh, so much. As, thank you. As a very last question, if you were to change one thing in fintech that can improve the lives of customers, staff, and shareholders? What could you change? Uh, that's a tricky question. I think the one thing that needs change or is necessary is to understand that they're different. It's the understanding of their difference, or acknowledgement of their difference. Fintech is not a bank. Or an insurance company, he's not a fintech and an insurance. And by understanding, like with humans, by accepting who you are, which you've actually achieved everything. So I think we, as stakeholders, and in many, many different roles of what financial work, what fintechs we do, we need to understand that they're different and treat them as such. And I think. That is the key to mutually beneficial relationship, partnership, success. Understanding that we're different and then, like you said earlier, looking at our strengths, looking at our complementary weaknesses slash how we can work best together. Awesome. It's been an absolute pleasure having you in the show, Ara. Thank you so much. Thank you. The pleasure was mine. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Monica. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone, see you next week. Ciao, Bye-bye. ciao. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening. Your time and energy means a lot. If you want to support the show, remember to give it a follow and DM me to get in touch. I promise I do respond.